0: Hey, listeners, you're here with Dave on Living the Dream, the radio podcast of the Hoo-Ha Group. You can find us on our blog, thewordfromstrugglestreet.wordpress.com. Tonight I'm speaking with Rascal from No Shelter, a collective against gendered violence, and we're going to be talking about some of the struggles that are going on against uh, attempts in New South Wales to close, shut down or restrict or divert the funding away from services that have been aimed towards providing support and shelter for survivors of domestic violence. Uh, This is a really important struggle that's taking place in the context of both federal and state budgets aimed at restricting some of the expenditure on social reproduction. And so we're going to be talking about what's going on, some of the history of this struggle, and some of the possibilities that are emerging out of it. I think this is a really important conversation to have because in the context of the federal and state budgets, a lot of people have been looking towards the traditionally male, uh, heavily unionised sectors of the labour force to expect resistance. But here we see uh, a struggle going on where many people particularly uh, those of the traditional left, wouldn't have expected resistance. That is very inspiring and very important to take account, account for. So we going to have a little bit of a song, then we're going to get straight into it.
1: Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life on the boss.
0: how are you?
2: Hi Dave, I'm good.
0: Could you tell us a little <laughs> bit about No Shelter and uh, where it came from and the struggles that it's involved in at the moment? I'll do
2: my best. Um, well I suppose for me, I'm going to tell my story about No Shelter, um, other people will have theirs, but a group of us started meeting early this year, um, to read feminist texts and we were specifically interested in questions of labour mm-hmm. and gender, um, reproductive labour, welfare, um around those kind of questions and, you know, we kind of, it was a reading group that aimed to cover autonomous Marxist feminist work. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of gone into a bit of communisation. We've um, been trying to read with a global perspective. It's been really interesting. I mean, it started as a really, um, it was a really interesting group of people that came together that were really keen for a space that was a women women's space and we had, you know, discussions about whether to open it up and we were just like, look, it'll just be nice for us mm-hmm. to read together and meet each other I and mean, a lot of us, most of us had never, you know, met, there several people I didn't know before, That's people who were older, younger, a mix of backgrounds.
0: So what was the point of intersection then to kind of get this group even starting?
2: Interestingly, um, I don't know, it was it kind of just happened, it, 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 I mean it happened around, there was a, a feminist discussion that happened at Black Rose Anarchist Bookshop, a lot of I wasn't at that um, and then there was a d- decision that we would try and move into another space that we felt was a bit more open so we moved to the local library which has a women's library and we've been meeting there in fortnightly ever since and the group of people that kind of crystallised around the reading group ended up being quite a different milieu. Some of whom I think, I think the younger kind of women wanted to talk a little bit about questions they were confronting in the anarchist space and have a space outside that to discuss that stuff with other women um and you know there are a few students but there are also other women who came along and were saying things like you know i haven't really i've I've had kids and i've been busy working living my life and it's been 20 years since i engaged some of this stuff and it's funny how the questions are still the same but i would argue that actually the point of the reading group was to try and think about contemporary capitalism and how it's not the same Mm -hmm. so that's been the, the kind of the orientation of the group and of course we talked a lot about um, uh, you know, several of us work in health or, or community sector jobs, um, social workers and whatnot. And so questions of welfare or um, un- unwaged labour and reproductive labour really touched us in a way, I suppose, in an immediate sense of w- where we work and, or people that are used services as well. Lots of us have used these services as well. Um, so that kind of led it flow, flowed really easily into um, what became No Shelter. At the beginning of the reading group there was a lot of debate around whether you act or whether you read and, you know, intellectualism is just rubbish and some of us really made the argument, well, you you don't have to read if you don't want to, but this is pretty much a reading group and a discussion group and, yes, we're going to have food and we're going to chat about our lives, but we're going to orient around a reading every fortnight um, to try and develop a common politics from which to act, and this is acting, Mm -hmm. but also we don't know what's going to emerge from this. So in June when the announcement was made, um, by the family, the Department of Family and Community Services, that of 365 uh, homeless specialist homelessness services originally funded for you know for for decades now, um, they would be lopping it down to I think it's about 150,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know um, tenders, and of those they would be getting about 65 peak agencies to lead those you know tender group, like I guess people. Agencies were encouraged to form consortiums and then to, to apply for these packages that were geographically specific. So I'll go into kind of what yeah. that means. But when that happened, of course, there's people that, you know, worked in women's refuges had used refuges yeah. as children or as young adults who were reading with us who yeah. were like, well, you know, let's see what we can do.
0: It's, is it possible to give a bit of a history of where women's ref- refuges have emerged from in Sydney?
2: Yeah, well, I'll give a potted history. I think it was in 74 uh, that a bunch of women, feminists, mm. occupied a house in Glebe with baseball bats. They just smashed the lock, set it up. Um, and then I think from what they've told me, I've talked to a few of them now through this process of organising together, um, that it was a couple of months later that they, put, they 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 joke about how they kidnapped the minister and they've pretty much put him in a cab and forced him to go. This is in the days where, you know, all the older ladies always talk about how accessible, how you could actually go in and do sit-ins in parliamentarians' offices and you could really disrupt and stop work, you know, really yeah. effectively. And That's now it's electric doors and, you know, they just lock down and you can't even get a meeting with them, even on the best intentions, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> even definitely. if you want to cooperate, you can't yeah. get a meeting with them. Um, so imagine our situation. So... Uh, they, you know, argue for funding and, and the basis of the women's refuge movement was to band together and say, we need a refuge, a feminist service that acknowledges mm-hmm. and addresses the gendered nature of this violence that women experience, that provides a safe place for women to hide, you mm-hmm. know, and here they are, they're not publicly listed, you know, they're quite under the radar mm-hmm. and for good reason, um, for the workers and the women that use them. um. And so they all, historically they band together and said, we need another refuge in this neighbourhood or this neighbourhood. And so it was on the basis of their solidarity that they were able to force the state to concede um, funding.
0: So they received some kind of funding from the state to keep these services Eventually. going.
2: Eventually and that's how they developed. So yeah. initially it was there was at least the one occupation of mm-hmm. Elsie's in Glebe. And that refuge was handed to St Vincent de Paul yeah. and all the workers were sacked last week um, after, what, 30 years um, of operating as a feminist service. So intentionally due. feminist,
0: when they receive state funding, how much, in your estimation, did that have any impact on how they were able to to run their services? Because there'd be certain people yeah. listening to this podcast that might have a particularly, say, kind of anarchist perspective that assumes yeah. any amount of state funding is some kind of terrible compromise. I mean, I
2: think we all know that the funding of welfare was a class compromise. Like mm-hmm. We know that. Um, there was a period of, of really heightened antagonism across the world and it led to um, certain initiatives, grassroots initiatives being funded and I think that that was the desire as well and the will. That, you know, we can't... Like, it, it was... I mean, we talked to these women and they were like, it was crazy. We were not prepared to... For the amount of women that needed this yeah. safe place, we were just not in a position, you know, to do that. And, and so, you know, several of these... Was a, there were several women that set up um, LCC in Glebe and they just lived, in, they lived there. But this isn't a time, remember, that you know, being on the dole was livable mm-hmm. and you could maybe get – you could wing it to get a couple of you – know, you might be able to for, you know, get a payment in someone else's name. It, you know, it was a much higher um, lived wage to what it is today.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And so maybe there was a bit more flexibility for people as well to not be so committed to wage work, yeah. to be able to you know, do this kind of reproductive labour.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, in looking after each other, right? And so I think you know, as time goes on, you see a broader. We like can't look at the situation with refugees in isolation. That's been the tension, I think, for No Shelter, and I'm sure we'll get to talking about it.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: how you fight around these particular um, things, but you have to be aware of the broader context of class struggle that you're operating in. And over time, you've seen community services, um, you know, professionalized and. Certain requirements, and, and also I suppose the what could you say as the, the demise of the feminist feminist struggles of the seventies,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and
2: I'm not terribly nostalgic about that. I think there's a lot of nostalgia around what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We should occupy. We'll just do the same thing they did in the seventies, and great, I'm not for occupying. But the condition we're li- of capitalism we're living in now is fundamentally different, and for welfare operates differently, very mm-hmm. differently to what it did then. So I think we need to think about that really hard. But I would be realistic in saying that, you know, in the last decade, uh, women's refuges haven't operated under explicitly feminist feminist public politics. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not to say that the workers in refuges have, you know, a way more sophisticated analysis, and the women that use them, of course, a way more sophisticated analysis of domestic violence and, and gendered mm. violence to what I do. But but in terms of a public, you know, presence, no. Mm-hmm. And, and then you see if a couple of years ago now, sorry, my date's are a bit shabby and my numbers are a bit vague. Mm, that's fine. Um, I don't think that's important really, but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't remember it. But um, it has. there's a shift a few years ago to end the women's refuge movement, which was a peak organisation that took up the name, of the movement. So it was
0: actually a formal organisation, it was called the Women's Refuge Movement. Yeah,
2: so across the community sector, you have peak, or peak bodies that kind of act as associations to represent community, you know, um, okay. grassroots like drug and alcohol agencies or mental health agencies, or you have these peaks. So for the Women's Refuge Movement, which was a, a genuine movement in the 70s, I don't know when, but at some point they decided that, you know, they worked out that if they had a peak, they could lobby the government more effectively that you know, it was a particular model that they could be represented to mm-hmm. government to you know, bargain. And the women's refuge movement, that peak organisation, not the movement, but the peak organisation refashioned itself as domestic violence in New South Wales. Okay. And with that, you, know, you see this kind of like, okay, the end, the end of a real feminist agenda in domestic violence. And so, with going going home, staying home, it's very explicitly clear.
0: So, what's going home, staying home? That's
2: the reform, the name of the reform. um, So,
0: that's the policy package.
2: That's the policy. It's called
0: going home.
2: The going home, staying staying home home. reforms of the specialist homelessness sector.
0: But surely the point of women's refuges is that (laughs) these women don't want to go home.
2: You think (laughs) so? If home being the house is the fling. When we read the name of the reform, we knew that people knew the reform was coming. Like, they want to competitively tender all welfare. They want to make a market out of it. Okay. They, you know. Well,
0: but this is an interesting point. They, they want you to tell us you know, about this? Well,
2: maybe in a sec. But, like, okay. we were just saying go So when we saw the name of the package, we were just like, are you serious? <laughs> like, you've got to be shitting us. Like, it's laughable. It's yeah. like saying go home, shut up. Yeah. You know, go home, shut up. We don't want to hear it. You will stay in the home. There will be yeah. no if.
1: Go I home, mean, don't it's leave. already bad
2: enough. Like, half of the women that try to seek refuge in a women's refuge, yeah. currently get turned away. Half. And, like, in this state, a woman a week is is killed by a partner or someone she's in a relationship with. It's astounding the yeah. level of private violence yeah. that happens in the home to women, and it's, you know, 90% of times women, which is not to dismiss or belittle yeah. the experiences that men and, and people have in same-sex relationships. Yeah. But I would still make the argument that it's a gendered violence. Yeah domestic violence is gendered and and the way that men who experience domestic violence are often talked about is in a gendered, feminised way. Mm -hmm. So we can, you know, there's room in feminist analysis to kind of be able to talk about these things, right? But going home, staying home explicitly said, nah, there will be no banning together of feminist Mm organisations to lobby for funding. There will be no women's refuge group kind of, arguing for funding on that grounds, you will have, to get funded, you have to form a consortium in your area geographically, geographically area. Yeah. and you have to be able to, as a group, offer the full you know, ambit of interventions for homelessness.
0: So there's a shift here for funding for specifically for questions of domestic violence to funding for homelessness and domestic violence gets moved under the that. rubric of... So it's not a problem... Domestic violence is no longer a problem in and of itself. The homelessness from domestic violence is the problem.
2: That's my impression. I'm sure if you took some from the peak of DV New South Wales, I'd say, oh, no. But the funding is mm-hmm. organised in that way.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So you're, not long, you're no longer seeing domestic violence. Like people who work in refuges and, and experience domestic violence you know, mm-hmm. will tell you very clearly that domestic violence is a lot more complicated than homelessness. Yeah, yeah, it might make you homeless. But then there's the stalking, the threats of violence, docks stealing your kids... Um, you know, like there's a, uh, your, your own trauma and, you know, stories of past abuse that put, you know, might mean you're in a... You're, anyway, I'm, uh-huh. I'm not by no means not that knowledgeable about that no, no interesting.
1: Things. But so this, this I've will be... a lot
2: from people I'm organising with. It's been really amazing.
0: And so just to clarify, in, in this model, so it's competitive geographical-based tendering. So there'll be... Am I right to, su- to suspect then there'll be one package that'll be provided for a geographical area... For all homelessness services in that geographical area, whether that's you know yeah. kids leaving home, yep. whether that's domestic violence, the young that's pregnant women, men over the age the... of sixty with drinking problems, yep. so you know, so all those different kind of things become under the same rubric.
2: And then and then agencies had to form consortiums. and so of course, you know the peak NGOs, mm. Mission Australia, Benevolent Society, uh, Saint Vincent de Paul. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much Salvation Army have picked up in this. I know yep. they've lost some. but those peaks, you know, seventy-five percent of the contracts ended up going to Christian organisations. It's not hard to realise who they are. Mm-hmm. They have a long history of providing welfare in this country, of which there was a blip in the seventies where communities went, no, mm-hmm. like fuck this. Um, but you know, it's not out of yeah, you know, it's not that out of context that this would happen. But of course they were better positioned and they sat with government well before even domestic violence in New South Wales apparently was we don't. I mean, we know that, that that peak has been part of this process and has engineered it and broken it and been silent when...
0: Has been involved in the consultations in terms of developing this policy framework the, the
2: consultations in inverted commas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and the peak NGOs well before the women's refuges yeah, even knew that this was happening. And I know this because I work in drug and alcohol and so I'm watching... Clearly, you know, there's a broader agenda at play. Mm-hmm. There's lots of things we could talk about, but... The government want to reduce the amount of tenders because it'll simplify. You know, it's about efficiency and simplifying the amount of bureaucracy required from the state to manage yeah. welfare. So-, so cut it down, give it to this many peak NGOs. They facilitate.
4: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: don't totally shut down all the small ones and the specialist ones, but pretty much suck any remnant of history, political. You know, um, perspective. And do
0: they establish different kind of metrics to either judge how? Uh, why an organ? Why a particular peak body would get the contract, and why they wouldn't, and how that contract is then assessed, or Supposedly. is that still unclear at the moment?
2: Um, well, there's a lot of across the community sector. There's a big push for valuation, yeah. outcome measurement, and I think, and I have other ideas about um, some of the financial innovations that are being trialled yeah. um, in, in terms of a long-term agenda um, for capital and welfare. But uh, yeah, oh, I mean, it's about being able to demonstrate. Point you know, certain outcomes. And, of course, like there are, mm-hmm. there's a whole series of problems with that. For one, you need big populations to be able to get the sort of data that enable you to do the statistical kind of the probabilistic calculus of, you know, um, mm-hmm. what what is working, what's, you know, what's saving the government money or, you know. But effectively, like the restructure is about also cutting public sector jobs. And the same thing will happen in drug and alcohol. It will happen in mental health. We already know. And what I was going to say is that in drug and alcohol, we've been told, you know, in July competitive tendering will commence in drug and alcohol. So
0: 2015. Yep,
2: next year. But no sense of what that will look like, what the government will be seeking to fund.
1: Because mm-hmm.
2: it's just it's, the whole relationship's changed now. It's like the government wants to has to work out what it wants to pay for.
1: Yeah.
2: And then it'll advertise it and everyone can flurry and try and apply. And then yep. the government says, oh, we'll have you and we'll have you. And if you don't meet that criteria, so the women's refuges, you know, often provide yep. crisis intervention, three-month, you know, sometimes less mm-hmm. periods of stay, cannot possibly band together anymore.
0: See, the thing that I would assume, just from what you've said, is that is two things. First of all, there's certain kinds of organisations that win these tenders, but then this would then change the internal labour relationships of these organisations themselves mm-hmm. as well that it would increase the kind of disciplinary mm. drive within NGOs that aren't, you know, kind of in competitive commodity production normally mm. to make sure if they're going to deliver these services at X amount mm. for X amount of region, so, yeah. then there's a pressure
2: on. It but, sure feels like that from and, the perspective of the workforce. But, but I mean, then, that rates of turnover yeah. in community sector are like 20% a year.
0: But then, of course, there seems to be or it's someone who doesn't work in the community sector there always seems to be this this other kind of dynamic that because there's a competitive nature for the tendering, that the bosses of these NGOs then call on the workers in these NGOs to bound together for the team to win this funding. At the same time, they, they use the competitive yeah. nature of yeah. this funding I'll to see. further internalise yeah. disciplinary logics against the workforce. That's yeah. certainly, um, as an outside observer, been the experience of what I've seen in Queensland.
2: Yeah, and how you talk about struggle within that. But before we go there, yeah. I also want to flag that the major NGOs actually have no evidence to back this up other than ain't globally, it's fine,
0: But they're not
2: listening. They pay minimum wage. I mean, lots yeah. of small NGOs do the same. But there are, you know, there's some historic precedent to say that yeah. some of the more, you know, lefty or, you know, the services that come about through community struggle, yeah. not always. Sometimes we are not, you know, they're yeah. not exactly great. But they can actually be really awful fiefdoms where, you know, you pay really badly and, and you work really hard. I mean, everyone in the community sector works ridiculously hard. Yeah. But, and the issue but, motivates
0: people to work. Yeah, oh, and ha- right? you
2: can't rock the boat because, you know, the, yeah. there's this churning of people who are, you know, desperate in crisis, dying, miserable. It's really hard to think about work refusal in that context.
0: So how, but work, how do caring workers refuse? The, the
2: Christian organisations also have volunteer labour. and So they pay minimum and they have volunteer labour. And they can also draw on philanthropic funds that you know secular you know feminist organizations of this tiny size that work with a smaller group cannot do so not only can you not demonstrate the outcomes because your group that you work with is smaller and then you know it just doesn't fit the paradigms and the calculus of these you know metrics but also you can't compete with the economic efficiency of of that, that machine you can't you know. So, anyway, but like so you then, have, you, then have, you kind of go, yeah. well, should you compete? I don't, yeah. so <laughs> we'll
0: so there. you So you an organisation like St Finney's that not only is huge, has church fundings, but also has a network of shops, which it raises money through staffed either by volunteers or at least when Work for the Doll used to exist, yeah. by various forms of people compelled to work in those stores via Work for the Doll. That's quite a complicated network yeah. of unwaged labour yeah, yeah. that funds these organisations. So tithes yeah. from the churches... Vol- voluntary volunteers and then other people who are welfare reliant who are compelled into working for Vin- Vinnie's for various different reasons and as well as multiple different arms. Mm-hmm. And so these are the organizations that are then competing for the kind of inheritance of the feminist and- struggle from the 70s.
2: And as a side note, I think it's a pretty difficult, uh, complicated question for the union, right? So our mm. union. Wants to recruit these workers, of course, yeah. and he's very happy to celebrate when a new Which union is the ASU, yeah. shown services union, and he's very happy to celebrate. You know, we've signed up two hundred Vinnie's workers at this site. They're big, you know, yeah. big workplaces, and, and I'm not concerned being in the union, yeah. but of course, there's a com- there's it's complicated there, right? How to yeah. the union's is not. I don't think I. They're actually not, the ASU's been quite supportive lately, mm-hmm. but I do think there's a tension there about. You know how opposed they can be to competitive. T- well, they're opposed to competitive tendering, they say, but I think yeah. t- we'll see if they actually.
0: So, so these are, this is the reform the reform package in inverted commas, that has been developed in New South Wales,
2: and it's going to happen in Queensland. Apparently, we've been told. Women's House in Brisbane has been mm-hmm. in touch with us. They're seeing this, you know, as an imminent.
0: So this is a model of welfare provision.
2: Well, potentially, I would say that's contested. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was talking to, well, I mean, I'll give you a few reasons why I think it's contested already. I think we're seeing that the department looks is looking pretty sheepish. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of dissent. I mean, there's been various strategies. Our strategy within the shelter has been very much to be a community group that wants to do direct action mm-hmm. that will protect workers to mm-hmm. speak out um, in whatever way they can. We'll offer some community cover to do Militant and yep. say and think and you know, will militant things to happen. Um, and very quickly, after a, meet, a community meeting on the 16th of July called cool, Go Home, Shut Up, um, where 150 people, if not probably more, packed in that's just people on the contact yep. list, um, packed into the hall in Newtown and were thumping their feet on the ground and calling for occupations. It was like electric, it was like yep. the 90s, amazing.
0: Well, I, I want to hear more specific details about this. Uh, so maybe we'll. But all it. I want to say yeah. is that
2: the next day, you know, you get this faxes calling around saying, "Oh, oh, oh, what about extended? We'll extend your funding. Oh, we could do this. Oh, we've noticed a gap here. Could you apply for this program? Even though you don't offer it currently, but maybe if you could just re your service to do something totally different in a totally different space, we might still fund you and keep you employed." But straight away, like it was within a week, several yeah. agencies have been told, oh, we can't really keep struggling because we might get this funding, which is a tactic, mm-hmm. but still a kind of small victory, I think, in terms mm-hmm. of pushing this back. And then you see, you know, the Minister of Health is not particularly keen to roll out mm. the exact same model because it has been a disaster for facts. Yeah, and interesting. Going home, staying
0: home. We yeah. might have a quick break to refill our cups of tea and <laughs> play another song. <laughs> and play another song. Then I'd really like to hear about how we get from the reading group to No Shelter, the the strategies that have been taken, and then an evaluation of where you think the different directions they're pointing. Sounds good. Women living in New South Wales and Sydney.
2: That's right. So I mean the government said we're not there's not gonna be any funding cut, in fact it's a funding increase, they haven't closed any beds, blah blah blah. We I mean that's clearly not true, um, given that eighty-two services lost funding. And it's been I mean it's been a complete nightmare I'm trying to understand, you know, like the I mean, this is why you can't really speak about these services as a movement in any way, shape or form. There's no yeah. communication really between them. Sometimes the managers have some communication, but it's not on the level of we have this, you know, we band together. It's, that's largely gone from the women's refuge movement. But um, something that we did initially in the shelter was to call, we did like a mini workers' inquiry and we called, we attempted to call all of those agencies, those 82 agencies, um, interestingly, and I know this is bleeding into other things going on, but it does connect to what this means for women. The, the leaked list of the eighty-two agencies came from the Millers Point housing campaign. You know, a campaign in the inner city to defend public housing that people are currently being evicted from and yeah. being sold off. And they hooked us up with this this list of agencies, which we then. Um, you know, went around and called and tried to compile in this big spreadsheet what the hell was going on because no-one knew. Mm -hmm. Um, Even the workers and the services didn't know. Most of the managers didn't even know what it would mean. But we now know over the coming months we've kind of kept in touch and we've been calling consistently kind of on a kind of weekly, fortnightly basis around, you know, about 40 refuges that we know were really, you know, likely to close. And we now know that several have already closed um, and when we say close, we're also talking about being taken over by a Christian organisation or any of you know, being taken over by major NGOs. Mm-hmm. It just happens that 75% of the time they are the major Christian yep. NGOs. Um, so we say it's a closure because they're not going to operate as feminist services anymore. There's no way. And, and also there's no clarity around whether it will be women being housed with men. Um, there's no clarity around whether, you know, if, if abortion will be, on the table for women if they want that, or there's no clarity around the kind of way that...
4: Question is ..certainly might be...
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean the government haven't been that stupid and they, they, it would be laugh- laughable to have um, gender-diverse and queer, LGBTQI um, services being run by Christian or they, they haven't tried to do that mm-hmm. and they have funded a couple. They've funded the major, you know, some of the major... Um, organisations in those areas, but also there's like one tender for culturally diverse or migrant women's services for the whole of New South Wales, mm-hmm. whole of New South Wales. And it hasn't actually been announced yet. They haven't been all refined. It. Um, because of the model, it doesn't work. You have to be a major agency to be viable as a peak. But anyway, what it's meant is that you get refugees closing across the state, you know, Forbes, these Lismore, Grafton, uh, Kempsey. Kempsey, there's been a big fight in Kempsey because the local community were like, no way. Mm-hmm. Big, strong voices from Aboriginal community there saying we will not have Samaritans running our women's refuge. Mm-hmm. We will not use it. Same in, in Marcy's in Campbelltown, which closed last week. Um, handed over to Vinnie's, all staff made redundant. 25% of the women there are Aboriginal. They Several of them said on that day, the closing ceremony, said that they, there's no way they would continue to... Look for support through an agency. That agency, they knew that it would be different. They have very, you know, intimate knowledge of what the reality of having welfare provided by Christian yeah. organisations looks like, and it's completely inappropriate. But so the list goes on and on. I think we've collated, you know, a list of over forty that are possibly going to close in the next month mm-hmm. or two. And there's been a bit of an offer that government's kind of gone. Oh well, well, there's a bit of a fight happening, so um, we'll, you know, dangle the promise of a potential extension for eighteen months. Mm-hmm. and particularly target that to refugees that have been more vocal and have had more, you know, community outrage in the area.
0: As a way to kind of stop the struggle yeah. and get them to spend the next
2: 18 months desperately trying to find
0: where they can get that
2: funding from when the 18 months is over. That's exactly what's happened. So there was so, one round on the 29th of August and that happened and people pulled their heads in and what they said, look, workers in the sector, using the language of being gagged, they just can't speak... Those that have had – have actually been successful and have had have their successful, in inverted commas, they've got their funding to continue for 18 months more. They – their contracts aren't being sent back, so they can't they, – they don't have that surety. Like any day it could just be, you know. it's
0: insane. Yeah. So so actually you're talking about the government departments are holding on to the physical contracts yes. as so a way of going, told, yeah. if you fuck up, well, we'll just say that contract doesn't exist.
2: Yeah. certainly how it feels from the perspective of, of workers, yeah. But like, like, that's
0: completely insane to hear. But, you know, you have an image of how you think the state actually operates, ah. and it's not even—it's it's not even on that level, right? Completely. I mean,
2: yeah, I mean, it's boring to go into it. You know, okay. it's not the point of what we want to do, but it's—you know—important to understand and, the things that you know, the, the actual, real, lived constraints that workers yeah. in the sector experience, and and let alone—I mean—you can't go without saying that the reality of domestic violence being something that is you know relegated to the private. So the household is very difficult to talk about, very stigmatized. You know those two things operating. I mean, maybe it's not a coincidence that they've chosen this sector for mm. to be the first point of the broader competitive tendering of welfare mm. in Australia.
0: So, so, what does it mean for for women in New South Wales? Well, I
2: think it, it means to think. I mean, there's a very real, very real situation where women will die because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be too spectacular or scandalous, or scandalous or whatever the word is about it, but it's at real. It's very women are already dying from domestic it is violence. Very true. Under
0: the previous model, between women, I mean, we hear
2: stories of refugees that they're they, they, they at full capacity. They have to house women in motels or above pubs. Facts does that. That's a practice that Facts will house women and children, you know, above a pub, and or, or docs will come remove the children, and mum will be stuck in a motel for the weekend on her own, and it's just appalling. Like it's scary and brutal and appalling. Horrible. Um, there's that reality. There's also that the broader reality of the household and how the household and the family are organised. Why would you leave? You know, and on the top of that, you've got your kids. If they want to go to uni, you're going to have to have them at home for longer,
3: mm-hmm.
2: which means you're going to be doing that work. You you can't leave your job because you can't get on Centrelink.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, if you're a sing- you would think about being a single parent. You know, like, mm-hmm. if I want to leave my partner, it's going to be a serious you know, attack on my lived conditions, mm-hmm. and then you've got like, especially for Aboriginal rates of child removal, ten times higher across the country for Aboriginal women. Fourteen thousand kids, Aboriginal kids, in foster care at the moment. I mean, it's it's a that's a class issue, and broadly, it's poor mm-hmm. children that are removed and not you know they don't come back mm-hmm. into Aboriginal families. as that racialist you know yep. racist element too. All these things would make you think, why the hell would you? call for any sort of social support and, yeah. and then that means it's relegated to the domestic sphere. We already do this kind of work for each other, you know, like it's it's work but it's. I want to talk about this with you a bit more, yeah. What, how we think about work, how we refuse it, how do we talk about negation, you know, is it healthy to talk about negation in a sense yeah. that, like it's important that we look after each other and I think it's a reality that welfare services only do a tiny proportion of the work and it's really at, crisis point mm-hmm. for some people the broader social scenario is that the message is clear you just do it yourself you do it <laughs> in your community you, that that burden is really in is privatized it's, it's something the household bears and of course that means women you know are the primary group of society that deal with yeah. that so it means we don't have as much opportunities <laughs> it means we have to stay in situations we would otherwise leave yeah and and that's not okay
0: and <laughs> in those situations the the care labor of the primary worker who provides care labor is done by other women that are in their yeah. social already existing social networks too which are increasingly strained yeah yeah i th- I think this is do a you really... think, what do you think is a that, is that... I think I that's a, it's a... Well, I don't know what I think. I think it's horrible, but I think analytically, you know, I think it's correct that part of what's going on at the moment is an increasing shift of reproductive labour back into the household. Well, what does it actually mean when we say the household? It means that it goes on to to women's work pretty much and that more of this is happening right across the board in terms of that. That's what all the different changes to welfare reform, social reproduction are about, are intensifying the burden of it in the home in the form of way, in form of the wage cost covering more of the costs, or that women do the work. And here we're talking very specifically about the um, restriction of, of women's abilities to flee the home
1: yeah.
0: because it's violent and abusive. And we know from you know, statistically that this is not some kind of negligible aberrant. Amount of households that have domestic violence. This is substantial, right? Mm-hmm. This is a fundamental part of gendered relationships in a contemporary capitalist society. So, I, yeah, I think I think the analysis is really right. And it's really terrifying, right? Uh, how, how does No Shelter get started as a response to this?
2: Yeah, so I suppose out of the reading group, we were talking about this. We, you know, our comrade works in a refuge, and we were hearing about the day-to-day experience and the, the silencing and the fears and management saying, you know, don't. Speak can up can I
0: just stop, stop you there? Because in a previous show, I was talking to Alexander from UOW Uncut, and he was talking quite a lot about the concept of friendship mm. and how struggles emerging from already existing social relationships. Do you think that you're in a reading group with someone who worked in these services was crucial to the reading group leading to no shelter?
2: I think lots of us would say that. But yeah. those of us who were in the reading group all feel that our ability to think together and write together and have a common and shared analysis of what's going on. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Not, you know, not that it's completely the same, um, but definitely we definitely learn a lot together talking and have a lot of trust
4: Mm -hmm.
2: and and got to know each other in a way that was really important and and life-changing, really, really life-changing for me. Incredible, incredible women. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... And there was a decision at some point. You know, we'll have a community um, meeting about this. We need to talk about it. And
0: Coming out of the reading group,
2: uh, not directly out of the reading group. A couple of people I actually wasn't involved personally in the conversation that led to like let's organise a community meeting. But I wasn't at all surprised the week later when I came back and I was told. I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, that, probably we should do that. Yep, that sounds all right. Um, but it wasn't something the reading group set out to do. Is the reading group? The reading group has continued. I've actually been there tonight. <laughs> Um, and having a good old discussion about the commons and reproductive labour and so we Um The reading group continues and it's still a space that's really supportive to talking about what's going on in No Shelter. Not everyone in the reading group's in No Shelter and No Shelter isn't really something you can be in, I don't think. I mean, there's definitely a few of us, that maybe eight of us, that started it but then very quickly we, it's very much owned by a much bigger group of people now mm-hmm. Um which presents its own exciting challenges. Um, it's been very wonderful. But, yeah, initially I suppose we went from the reading group, organised this community meeting, and the point of the community meeting was to say, we all know this, like, this, you know, we don't have to convince you that this is a terrible thing What's happening to, to us as women and broadly. Um, let's organise to stop it. And very, it was very explicit that's what this meeting's for. And then from this, you know, we, we will have organising meetings They will be open, anyone can come. Yeah. And so we have this community meeting and um, someone from the department turns up and says, oh, excuse me, I'd like to answer some, I'll answer some questions on the stage if if I may. I said, I'm sorry, mate, this is a meeting to stop. We don't need to hear from you. We're organising against the the Mm -hmm. going home, staying home, reforms and and broader restructure of welfare. We don't need you to answer our questions. Um, We'll answer our questions, thanks. Oh. And he sat down and I was like, oh, look, it's a discussion at the end. Yeah. You know, it's open mic, so I, we're not going to stop him. Yeah. And lo and behold, he puts his hand up and I'm like, oh, this could go either way. It could become a – it could derail it and everyone could focus on the government and yeah. being angry with the government, haranguing the government, and, yeah. you know, representative. Or it could be actually really amazing. It turned out to be the latter.
4: Yeah.
2: You know, he stood up and said, no, refugees are closing. And everyone just went, here's the evidence. that,' And, and it was just like, you know – so many people mm-hmm. speaking of their experience using refuges, fleeing domestic violence, mm-hmm. you know, the, the life-saving experience that they had through refuges, you know, pointing to women in the room who work in refuges and saying, thank you, I've never met you since then, mm-hmm. but thank you. you. know, It was incredible, incredible electric space. And out of that, you know, community meetings have continued with really, you know, very mixed in intergenerational, you know, women who started the first refuges, students who were in high school, mm-hmm. Um,
0: Out of this big public meeting, there's yeah. been a, a flow-on of, flow of on. meetings.
2: A flow-on meetings and, um, and other things too. You know, some of the – I don't know how all they're – I know one, a few of them are in high school. They organised a picnic in their local park mm-hmm. um, and some bands and some speakers as a place to come and share food and, mm-hmm. and chat and be together and talk um, mm-hmm. about what's going on and other things going on. Also, I mean, on the day that Elsie's in Glebe um, and several other refugees across the state, were handed over to Christian organisations or closed. A couple did close. Dolores and um, Bondi was one of those refugees that closed. We had to speak out in the local neighbourhood a block from the first mm. refuge in Australia to you know, we've been kind of trying to work out I mean, I can't say we everybody, there's I think a mix of views, but definitely some those of us that came from the feminist reading group have this perspective that we don't want to this we don't want this to be a single issue campaign, save refuges done that uh, we very much want to antagonize around welfare as a side of exploitation. We don't know how to do that, We're trying to work out how to do that. Mm-hmm. A bit of chat with you about the ideas you might have. Um, but yeah I think that's pretty much no shelter. I suppose something really important and I've said it already, but the explicit effort that we made to bring people into conversation and to conduct a kind of sloppy workers inquiry. Mm-hmm. Which we documented, you know, we spoke to workers in over 40 services and we documented what they said and that really helped us hone our analysis of what's going on specifically around the reforms but also more broadly. We asked people how they were feeling, um, how they experienced their work, how valuable they felt their work was,
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, how management were operating as well yeah. because management had been... Playing an interesting role of like you know, managers and community sector. They're not like the big fat cat boss evil yeah. boss people. You know, they're they're in. It's very in complex, this, right? It's very complex, and they're often people that have come from histories of struggle. Yeah. Sometimes Labour Party, and you know, I would yeah. count that. But you know, but often they're, they're on the left side of things. that have been, and then they find themselves in these roles, and they're there often for a long time. Okay,
0: two, two questions. Very
2: difficult. You know, workers often trust them, but often, but yeah. managers have been telling workers to shut up and to wait and don't ruin things and don't stir things up now. We're about to shake hands with the minister.
0: These, cause these might be in the organisation that might get these kind of like yeah. funding yeah. because of this struggle. T- two questions that really interesting. in. Um, this sounds really quite different from the standard kind of left campaign group. I hope so. And, and most people who are from the left with a capital L that are listening to this, imagine a meeting as being you get together under the glaring fluorescent lights of either the trade union building Mm -hmm. in uh, Brisbane or in the UTS tower block, and the people that are there are representatives of various tiny left organisations or clear tendencies who then go about a set form of tasks. What you're describing seems very different from that organisational process.
2: I think we all know that, that, like, Not all of us, but many of us kind of, it's almost like this default thing, you know. And I think we this is the tension. For me personally, it's a real tension, you know, how to not just do things because it's what you do. And and sometimes I think we've held ourselves back from saying things we think should be said about what this means for women because we think we'll sound crazy, it'll be too abstract and people say, oh, that's too complicated and focus on the issues. And I'm like, well, these are the issues, right? Like this is going to mean more work for women ha do do bingo, everybody knows it. Let's <laughs> just say it, you know.
0: Do you think, it, you know, as someone who's been around these circles for a long time, with you, this sounds totally different from, you know, a shared history I think we have mm. where, you know, if people from left organisations, what they care about is a particular way of decision-making, a particular kind of rhetoric, you know, has any of that played out or is, do you think this has been a kind of fresh kind of organisational experience?
2: No, I mean, like I said, I think we all bring that kind of, like, like that kind of... Collective memory or mm. collective understanding, or well, this this feeling that this is how you do organizing. Um, but I think there are some things that are really easy to do that break it down, like having mm. food at meetings, having a break in a meeting where people can have a chat. Is a, yeah. is really good? Um, encouraging that mix of people to you know really pursue having conversations and um, during the meeting. At uh,
0: the risk of being really essentialist, yeah. right? Do you think these new organizational kind of or different organizational approaches relate to the explicit feminist nature of the politics?
2: Probably to some extent. I, I, I notice a difference being in a space that's dominated by women. Mm-hmm. There's a different listening um, that happens that is so refreshing from coming from mostly my whole adult life trying to organize shit. You know, often mm. more, more men than women, and. There's some wonderful men in this group mm-hmm. like, um, but the tone is set in a mm. kind of different way. That said, I think we do, yeah, we struggle with the tensions of, okay, we're in a meeting this way and we'll have a speaking list and we'll do things. And I think over the course of the meetings we've relaxed a little bit about that need mm-hmm. and the trust that people have seems to be, you know, respectful. Yeah. Um, and that's been pretty, pretty easy, you know.
0: And so my second question would be, uh, following on for that, we're in New South Wales, we're currently sitting in New South Wales, so there's a coalition government that's deeply in crisis. What's the relationship been to the Labor Party and the Labor-dominated trade unions? And also, how have they responded to this struggle and what are some of the challenges that that's that's held?
2: Nothing from the Labor Party. I mean, well, actually, my perspective is, and I've learnt this through other times in my life mm-hmm. you do what you do you don't orient to them they'll come mm-hmm. and then you work out what you're going to do with have, that have they come yeah they've come um not direct you know like in various ways you know the greens are interested in starting a initially they were going to start a campaign group specifically around the refugees, and they rethought that and mm-hmm. i'm happy with what they've come up with which is a greens um working group on welfare reforms they're explicitly you know they're interested in competitive tendering and stopping the rollout across community mm-hmm. sector um and they're not coming to our meetings; they're doing their own thing. I think that, I think that is good. Yeah. I think we can maybe think about what we would possibly get out of working with them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe <laughs> again, the ASU very difficult to engage initially. Um, earlier on in the year, a few of us had conversations with our organisers, being like, "Can we please get a motion up or something? Mm-hmm. What can we do? How do we do it?" And we were told we were... we were, wing nuts and crazy and no one cared and the union had already tried to get the members to do stuff and no one cared. But at the same time, the union's only the sum of its members, right? And I'm like, well, I'm a member and I'm saying <laughs> let's do something. <laughs> That's the Is cl- there the anything? in the Oh, no, but the bureaucracy and, you, oh, and then you can't really do anything yeah. actually. It's not really real. But as soon as they see that we're doing, we're doing, then suddenly oh, we've got two organisers working on this campaign, one of whom's is going to come to the meetings consistently and we're going to offer printing and we're going to come to your demos and we're going to, you know, and suddenly it's like, oh, oh, no, you're here, that's cool, yeah.
0: yeah. We've got motion the motion up, Is there benefits to this relationship? Are there
2: I'm not problems? sure yet. I'm really not sure what it'll mean for a shelter. I think it's very important that we do what we're going to do and we don't let ourselves be dragged to the centre. Yeah. And I think there's a very real potential for that yeah. to happen. I think we need to... Yeah, and of course then you have people come along, and, like I said, the organiser that comes along who um, was, is a, uh, he's a wonderful mm-hmm. fellow, Peter Murphy was in the Search Foundation for many years Now he works for the SU, comes along and he wants to take on stuff. Yeah. But what does it mean for the union official to be doing the media for your Like, like, what does it mean, you know? And I think Peter's someone that knows, can have have that conversation, he gets it.
0: And according to my chats I've had with people over the last couple of days, you know, for this is the Don't Know the Search Foundation comes out of, like, an accumulation of uh, money from the Communist Party. Um, It's meant to be a source of funds for anti-capitalist, for lack of a better term, research, but largely works to fund... Left of Labour Party internal initiatives, right? So there's
4: yeah. a challenge
0: there.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So you've had these series of meetings. Yep. Certain activities are happening. Mm-hmm. What's where's it going now? What do you <laughs> think?
2: Not, I mean it's a real it's just I think we need to do some thinking and writing and I don't know what other things we might mm-hmm. do that.
0: Because the that services can... are closing, aren't they?
2: Yeah, well, so, okay, there's two things we need to do. One is yeah. we fight the fight and resist any closures. What I haven't actually said that's really important yeah. to really explain is that it's not as simple as just go occupy. So initially I think there was this real, and there still is, this nostalgia around the women's refuge movement, how they came about. We can just repeat that tactic now yeah. and it will work. And occupy if, another building. Occupy another building and just DIY and it'll be fine. Yeah. There's the DIY thing. There's also the symbolic occupation idea. I think maybe that's more... Yeah realistic and we've been really looking to do that very
0: openly because people have talked about this and right up and down the east coast you know like the the shutdown of um specialist services in queensland around sexual health or whatever you know this kind of discussion well we can just occupy the closed building and keep it open
2: so there are a few problems about the way that they have done this process here Mm. in homelessness um with with the refuges specifically is to transfer the buildings. Full of people, so you're not getting an empty building. You're getting a building with women who need a place to live for a yeah. time, and then you're just having a new group of workers come in yeah. and take because take... they're
0: sacking all this. So
2: not always yeah. there is a. I mean, it's unclear, and that's the thing. There's no. There's no centralized space where you can go and find out what's actually going on. Yeah. The only way to get it is by doing a very laborious process that we've been doing, which is calling and constantly collating information mm-hmm. and. And, and being really sensitive as well to the stakes for workers yeah. and telling us, speaking out and, you know, there's this... Yeah. We've had to be very careful and it's been really, it's been really important to talk, mm-hmm. I suppose, with those of us that are not facing um, losing our jobs right now, that yeah, the stakes are really tension. different. The yeah. stakes are so different for someone who works for the department who leaks information to us, mm-hmm. you know, about what's going on behind the yeah. scenes of, you know, the department to someone who's, you know, a student who, you know, is all gung high and wants to... So we've had to try and... Mm. You know, we've, it's been a sick learning curve, I think, for some of the people in the field. And some of those
0: tensions about...
2: But also yeah. a really loving learning curve, you yeah. know, like we messed up with, with one worker, um, had to... We wrote a letter saying we're really sorry, we've, we realised that we might have exposed you to mm-hmm. disciplinary action. We, we will never... We've really taken yeah. that on... We messed up, you know, yeah. and we've learned from that. And that worker came up to me recently and said, thanks so much for that letter. It really meant a lot mm. that you, like, I knew you realised but the letter really meant something and I'm, and I'm here yeah. at the meeting, you know, and I'm here anonymously. <laughs> and so yeah. trying, to, trying to be really aware but of that. Things.
0: That in itself is, like, so interesting to hear because it's a struggle that's taking into account the actual specific material positions that people are struggling for rather than some, like, a from rather than some kind of like blanket, everyone's a worker or everyone's a citizen, there's, you know, doesn't have different stakes, they have different things on
4: yeah. on the
0: line. So that's, that's, I don't think that's really a standard part of activist in inverted commas left in inverted commas activity is to mm-hmm. assume the specific material reality of people.
2: Yeah. And on that note, refugees aren't publicly listed. So in terms of working with people who survived domestic violence, recently, currently... Oh, my privilege. goodness. Like, the refuges aren't publicly listed, so yeah. you can't just have a demonstration at a refuge. Because that defeats
0: a
4: purpose. It right? totally
2: would undermine the whole, you know, <laughs> the, the protective nature of them, right? So yeah. there's that. And also, like, working with women who have abusive ex-partners, for them to be out in public raises a whole series oh, of other really potentially very violent um, yeah. consequences in their lives. so And their children, their children's lives and, and Yeah. So there are those issues too that Mm. make it really hard to just charge off and occupy a refuge. I hope people have listened to the podcast for so long that they've gotten to this point (laughs) because people keep on saying, well, just let's occupy and it's like, yeah, "Yeah, we are totally on board. The whole point of No Shelter, one of the many points of No Shelter has been let's do anything we can to stop the rollout of these reforms, to disrupt the rollout. And I've been thinking, what are the corporations that are bumping in and bumping out? you know, one group of workers and bumping in another, can we stop them from doing their job? Yeah. Is there thing, Are there things like that we can do? Points of tension. Can we stop the government car turning up to the refuge to collect the keys to the building? Can yeah. we do... Obviously that takes heaps of coordination and trust from workers to tell yeah. us. And so I hope I'm not giving away too much of the game. There's things I can't talk about. But, yeah, for sure. But I think it has meant... That's something I think not everyone who goes to a meeting once a week realises, that that... The most important thing I think that some of us have been doing really consistently is talking with workers mm-hmm. about how they're feeling, and it changes week to week because the, their employment conditions are so tenuous. And that's a group of workers who themselves are on contracts, who themselves yeah. are experiencing this.
0: Who live in a reality. particular yeah. class composition where we're deeply in debt, where yeah. you know they also are, are then workers in a household where they're responsible for the reproduction yeah. of labour of their families.
2: Today 500 workers apparently from Red Cross got sacked because, you know, the boats aren't coming anymore so who needs refugee, you know, settlement services. So, like, it's a very awful time. You know, it's horrible. Like, it's horrible on so many levels Mm. um, working. And and then it's another thing about there's a sense, I think, I think some people are a bit reluctant to talk about the labour issues. It's almost like we should think about welfare as this you know, innately good thing or this thing that we need and it's, you know, you shouldn't see it as a labour question and I struggle with that.
0: Okay, why do you you struggle with that?
2: Because I think if we're really going to agitate around our lives under capitalism, we need to depart from where we are Mm
4: -hmm.
2: and that means acknowledging that for many reasons people might want to organise around welfare for many reasons, you know, not just for their immediate work conditions, but partly for that too, and it makes sense.
0: So so that means, like, two kind of... From this conversation, what springs to my mind, that, that means two kinds of... I highlight two blind spots in the standard analysis of capitalism. And the first one is to highlight the importance of reproductive labour in the home, right, as a site of reproducing labour power, reproducing society... But secondly, then to understand what's going on in welfare, organ- in welfare organisations as, again, a form of labour that is exploited, even if it doesn't, for the Marx nerds out there, necessarily p- produce surplus value directly in reproducing that society. Mm. Um, rather than, yeah. I think, you know, in, from a social democratic perspective, they're often seen as just totally beneficent kind of places with no tensions in them. Is, is that the kind of things that no you're.
2: Way. No way! It's the most um, the turnover, and we're talking about community stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Uh, you know, it's it's hugely underpaid. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of the reason as well where the state wants to shift. Like well, NGOs will provide the same services, public services, way cheaper. I mean, they won't yeah. be the same. Not to glorify state or public services either, but but um, they'll run a lot cheaper because the wages are so much lower and the turnover. And the contracts as well, what it means to have, you know, 12-month annual funding rounds is that there, there will be no, no stability, you know.
0: But it also means if you're the community organisation that has a particular welfare contract and you're the one that has a strike which interrupts your delivery of services, then you don't get that contract the next 12 months yeah. around. And, and that, also, that, that'll be disciplinary for the workers in community organisations,
1: right? Of like, course. what? But what, more than
2: that, the biggest discipline comes from the... They're not wanting to okay withdraw your labour when your labour yeah. is effective, effective. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell them. I think this is really crucial. Tell them. Could you please tell the listeners you, about this?
2: I mean, how can you? How do you refuse a relationship with a human that is it needs support and. Yeah. and, and you know, isn't, I mean, not to say. I think I was saying this to you earlier tonight. How there are two types of people that work go into this kind of field of work, and I think people that depart from. I just want to help people. Perspective, very swiftly, end up um, taking up very paternalist attitudes to the people that they yeah. work with. Um, and then, of course, there's the famous saying that you know, social workers social workers are just police in plain clothes. There's definitely those elements. Very yeah. much, I mean, welfare is a disciplinary apparatus, but yeah. also it's a productive one. And that's something we haven't talked enough yeah. about. But it's a pro- it's productive of life and ways of living,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: that's also what, what, what welfare teaches, it's not just through the stick, but also through the carrot of like you know, yeah. producing, and not just yeah, for so, the people so when, that go to the services, but yeah. also for a broader
0: society. Yeah. So you know, um, when when I used to work as a as a, uh, with people with with intellectual disabilities, you know, part of my job was I'd take people to a Red Cross sheltered workshop. So to engage to engage in actually commodity production, right? Um, but also I think it's part of the, the way that organisations like the Red Cross and whatever promote themselves as doing good work is that it's taking people with intellectual disabilities and making them do work.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, and it's really complex because for those people with intellectual disabilities who live in a world organised around work, it is a way that they actually have a series of self-esteem about their existence in that world because they can then... Articulate to their families and friends and people they come across that I have a job, mm. you know, and often say all the kind of um kind of stuff everyone says after work. Oh, what a terrible day, and you know, another day, another dollar. Yeah, to have that. You know, yeah. at, because but in a way that that gives them kind of space yes. so otherwise they're completely denied. But also, you know, if if there was industrial action in that sector, which you talked about, what does that mean?
4: Mm. It
0: means people are already quite socially marginalised having a more intensified marginalisation because no-one's come to help them make their breakfast,
1: right?
2: Yeah. yeah, it's like, I mean, imagine there's no way we would occupy a refuge where people need to be, you know? To stop work happening. And, and that's so, the other thing, I suppose, yeah. going back to that point um, about what that would look like. Um, there's a question of specialisation, right? Like mm-hmm. the sector, the refuges want to argue feminist, that there's a specialisation there. There's, you know, and so it takes up very, it kind could, of takes could, up could very...
0: You, could you go over that point a little bit more, please?
2: That that there's a certain set of skills that mm. are specialised that refuge workers, women's refuge workers have, have, have mm. been trained in and, and know, and you can't just DIY that. You can't just put, you know, Dave and Rascal... In an occupied building and go, hey everyone, if you need a place to crash so you don't get beaten up, come over here and hang out with us. We're we'll good. with our
0: good intentions like, and a you know, can of
2: lentils. So, so yeah. we've been thinking through, I mean, proposals that have come up because obviously, I mean, for me, this is really, I, we can talk a little bit about parallels with like wages for housework and how okay. those campaigns and the 70s and how we think about, you know, what are those, what are the frontiers now? What is the mystified, yeah. more mystified condition than the wage already is, right? Yeah. And I think it's around. Ha- the household, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what well, do you want to have a
0: break or do you want to go straight into this? I want
2: to get straight into it. Get yeah, I'm getting tired. Yeah. Um, and who's going to be listening after 59 <laughs> minutes of us rambling on? Me rambling on. But I just want to make this point that I, yeah. I've been thinking, like, how can we, you know, what are the, what are these, what is the, the, that space? Um, it's clearly wages for housework is not a demand we would make now. There is already, there are wages for housework. It's not that, it's pretty awful. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I digress. What I wanted to say was that we've talked about, well, how do we connect this to like, the house, housing market in Sydney mm-hmm. and how totally oh, okay. unaffordable this, yep. this city is and the closure of, of public housing completely, the sell-off of public housing in the inner city, fights that are going on around that. And we say, well, what if we occupied a building, a public, public housing building in the inner city and you know, the mm-hmm. rec- locals would be stoked um, and we could say, hey, this is a refuge.
4: Yeah.
2: Imagine actually doing that. Like I I just think the nostalgia for that period where that was a possibility yeah. is sweet. But I just I think workers in the sector say, well that would undermine what we're trying to argue, which is that we have a specialized skill mm-hmm. that should be funded.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that actually that's a compromise we should be making, forcing yeah. the state into conceding, you know. That it's not something that we just want to do in our spare time, nor could we. That's yeah. the reality. In this city People don't have, it's not, we, we can't subsist on the dole and do this amazing kind of People don't have the time. Work. Yeah. People don't have the time. Some people maybe might, but to have a space that is, you know, uh, anonymous, private, mm-hmm. protected, where you have workers 24-7 that have the yeah. skill and yeah. knowledge of, of the gender dimensions of violence and sexual assault and abuse, all these things. And
0: for lack of a better term, the cultural capital where women are going to say, I'm going to leave this situation that's going to potentially expose me to even more violence. If you don't have that trust, that established kind of idea, who's going to do that, right? To go, there's some well-meaning yeah. activists and they might be able to help me.
2: There was a time when that yeah. happened. It did happen. You know, That's how they began. Yeah. I just don't think we can necessarily just transfer that history and re- replay yeah. it now. Um, then the idea of symbolic occupations. Yeah. I can't see anything wrong with that really yeah. although I don't want to end up in a back street occupying a public house public housing house that no one's really <laughs> noticing and I'm kind of like well I'm just paying rent and I'm also occupying this house and not you know but I think yeah. that there's there worthwhile lines of inquiry to think how yeah. can we relate what's going on yeah. with the refuge closures and the making women homeless you know it's like going home staying home or being really fucked yeah um those two options are pretty grim. How can we relate to other struggles going on around housing? And that's explicitly what no shelter seeks to do. At the moment, the sharp point is is the refuge stuff because of where we're placed, you know, Mm -hmm. who we are, where we've come from, you know, where we depart from collectively has oriented us to this particular dimension. But we see it as, you know, a dimension or an aspect of the broader restructure of welfare. Um, And we hope to find ways to fuck shit up yeah totally but the 31st of october yeah. will be a big date and we okay. can, we'll see we'll see where that leads us at the moment the collective is talking about having some kind of escalation demo in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. look i have some ideas about why a collective would feel like we need to escalate we need to have a rally we mm-hmm. need to do something keep the pressure on i'm worried about that tension yeah, that, around that kind of language. getting into the campaign yeah. set of set of you know ideas about how you organize um there's debates. We're having yeah. ongoing debates. But hopefully they'll be resolved very soon if people are serious about mm-hmm. doing something um, towards the end of this month. The idea would be to put more pressure on, and, and you know, but we're talking disruptive actions.
1: Yeah. And, um,
2: and then on, towards the end of October, again, several other refuges look to be closing on that date across the state.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So we're trying to build regional networks. We're trying to look at things we can do to cool. do anything we can to stop that. Okay, well,
0: and we'll, we'll try to... Um, on our blog, uh, apply the kind of full pro science of this <laughs> analysis, and and uh, keep uh, reports of what's going on. But is there anything that you'd like to just to finish on and talk about? Or I don't think so. I, I'm I,
2: tired. Of it. This
0: is a very long podcast. It, it's been a long <laughs> podcast. But um, look, I, one of the things I want to want to kind of reiterate is you know this is where the struggle is appearing, yeah. right? There's been federal and state budget cuts. And a lot of people have been looking at capital T traditional spaces of class struggle, and it's been largely quiet or silent. But this is emerging.
2: It, I hope. I mean, I what, hope so. I think it needs well, to. Well, but, ha-
0: it can, but welfare. W- what does it? What does it tell us?
2: Welfare. How do you? There's like. How do you? What's the thing that you sabotage? You know, like what's the thing that you break and disrupt? And how do you disrupt that? That. You know, it's not... Um,
0: it's not the Fortis factory, right? It's not it Porta not. Magetta, and You And know. it
2: is very difficult to think around how... And, and I think the place where we need to depart from is by talking to each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it's, you know, the way Centrelink is organised, you know, atomises you and individualises you. And it's, yeah. you know, it's, And now it's all online, so you don't even have the going into the... You know, you're not in the doll queue, Talking with people in the same way Only in, in a disciplinary sense. Yeah. You have to
0: go and approve your ID.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. And then the cameras are all on you and the yeah. security guard at the door. Runs. But, yeah, like, it is. I mean, I think I've heard some stories um, from friends about um, being in job networks over the last mm-hmm. period and, you know, some really great stories about people going, nah, we're not doing this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nah, this is crap. We're not going to waste our time doing this. And people... Standing together, mm-hmm. because there's some spaces there where there are groups of people that yeah. actually have that moment. But you know, I mean, I've been on and off the doll for a very long time, and I, I've usually, I you know, get to that point. I'm like, oh god, if they're gonna make me do the work for the doll, I'm out of here. But so it's very
0: different from. But uh, it used
2: to be that you'd be in Sandlink and you'd see other people, you yeah. see friends, you know, and and you, you, that would be every fortnight. And now it's, you know, most yeah. students don't have to go in, and pensioners don't go in, and you just. I imagine most people on payments don't go in. There's no actual physical space where you're together to have those moments of encounter. And it's like these refuges. Some of these women had not met each other before. There's women that are coming to the meetings from... They're driving two hours every week on a weeknight to come to our meeting and, and, oh, I Mm. feel so humbled that they bother. They are such a wealth of knowledge and experience. And they have been so humbled and they've been so like, thank you that I could have met and been with other people To talk about this, it it means so much, and these some of these women are women like who are coming towards retirement, and it's just amazing. And I hope that there's a way that no matter what happens in the immediate future with refugees, that we will still organize
4: mm-hmm.
2: as a feminist collective around the broader fault lines of welfare.
1: You
0: know. Well, let's wrap, wrap it up there. Yeah. Thank you very much, Rascal, for your. Uh, Time for what I think has been a really informative and very inspiring podcast. Thanks, Um, (laughs) Huha. Once again, you are listening to Live the Dream, the podcast of the Huha Group. You can follow our blog on thewordfromstrugglestreet.wordpress.com. Is there anything Rascal you'd like to promote?
2: You can have a look on our website too if you want more information. It's www.noshelter.com.au. That's (laughs) .com.au. And there's a Facebook group too, No Shelter. Semicolon, a collective against gendered violence. That's you can get see videos and cool things like that. Alright,
0: fantastic. <laughs>
3: Johnson, you're wearing your dress is way too high. It's reported you've been drinking and are running around with men and going wild. And we don't believe you ought to be a bringing up your little girl this way. And it was signed by the secretary, Harper Valley P.T.